0: Climate change is ubiquitous. Our planet has always been subject to it. But since the 1800s, most of it has been fueled by human activity, primarily the burning of fossil fuels like coal, oil, and gas. Temperatures are rising, threatening our ability to grow food, melting our Arctic regions to raise sea levels, and leading to weather changes that are creating more deadly events, such as hurricanes and tornadoes. Scientists have been warning us for decades that if we don't act now, it will prove to be an existential threat to life as we know it, at some point in our future. Some believe we are already there. Anna Liglodal is the scientist who is studying climate change.
1: There are observations in the Arctic where it's telling us we're already in the future. So the big climate models that we have, they say, oh, we're going to see this in 2050 or in 2100. But we're already seeing that rate of change, that change happening in the Arctic. It's We're already there.
0: But she thinks we can still find solutions. She's here to talk about it. I'm Steve Fisher, and this is Life Slices. <music> Let's start with a, hopefully an easy question for you. Who is Anna Lögadal?
1: Ah, thanks for asking. I am... Well, you could say the simple one would be scientist and farmer slash homesteader. But if I go a little deeper, I say I'm a curious person. I like to learn. I like to grow. I like to do things that makes me grow. So, and also things that lets other people grow as well. And and I like to grow rutabagas as well.
0: <laughs> things? Why rutabagas?
1: <laughs> you know, I feel that they're they're. They're very common over in Sweden, where I grew up. Here, they're not as appreciated yet. So, yeah, I like to introduce that to people. Rutabaga pie is really delicious. You can just switch out the pumpkin and make some rutabagas in there.
0: (laughs) Okay. I don't know what it is about the name rutabaga, but it makes me think of a cartoon witch. (laughs) Madam Rutabaga. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. So uh, obviously you're not uh, originally an Alaskan native. What made you embrace Alaska?
1: Oh, it was just something I, I wanted to go to Alaska. Just something inside me. The landscape here, the nature. Ever since I was a kid, I just, I wanted to go to North America. And then later I kind of zoomed in on Alaska. And it was the university that brought me here, the opportunity to go to grad school. So that was 20 almost 20 years ago now.
0: Wow. So describe your field of study and what inspired it.
1: Hydrology. So water, the water, the flow and storage of water on the landscape. Growing up, I really like to play with water, you know, when the snow and <laughs> spring water coming and flowing around. So, and then also water, it's part of everything here on earth. Like it's it's what makes earth really special. And it links into so many different systems in our landscape and in our lives. So that's that's why I chose water and I also wanted to work in an environment where you have snow and ice. So that the change of phase of water. And so permafrost hydrology is more specifically the field that I've been working
0: in. Explain that. Permafrost technology. It's not exactly something that most saying I want to study permafrost technology. So what is <laughs> what is permafrost?
1: Yeah, so permafrost Permafrost is ground, so it could be bedrock or soil that remain remains below zero degrees Celsius for at least two years. So it means that it doesn't, the ground and the soil doesn't thaw in the summer; it remains frozen. And some permafrost is tens of thousands of years old, and others are only a couple years old. But it's it's I think about twenty yeah, percent of the northern hemisphere that's covered by Permafrost—it's—it's so it's pretty widespread, and we have it up in the mountains and down in the lowlands. And
0: so, despite the name permafrost, has there always been some degree of melting?
1: Yes, it—it uh, it, of course. I mean, we have had times in our past where it's been, been colder periods, and so yes, permafrost has definitely come and gone in certain areas, and in other areas, it has remained throughout these warmer periods. Permafrost. You have the word "permanent" in there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's not really correct. <laughs> but so, so I think you would more better word for permafrost would be something perennial, something that survives many years. Uh, so maybe perennial ice mix.
0: How about I often think? often frost? There
1: you go. Yes, often
0: <laughs> <frost>. Yep. <laughs> How has this been exacerbated by climate change? Can we measure? Just how much the degree of melting has changed because of climate change?
1: Yeah, so we have we do notice that areas that are experiencing permafrost law now have not experienced it in in um, many tens of thousands of years. At the same time, we also have people building on permafrost, and because many people, it's about five million people, live on permafrost in in the northern hemisphere here, and they're. You have challenges just disturbing the ground when you build something on the ground that has permafrost below it. You're removing the the fluffy organic layer of the the top of the soil, for example. So you you can start warm the soil and start degrading the permafrost that way. But you can also sort of amplify that impact if if you do have a, a warmer period, either warmer winters where it doesn't get as cold. So the ground can can freeze as much and get as cold. Or if you have summers that are becoming warmer and warmer, so you have a deeper thaw in the summer. Because the permafrost, if it's permafrost, it doesn't thaw in the summer. But if you have a really warm summer, then you can thaw it deeper and then you can degrade the top of the permafrost. And if it's a lot of ice in the permafrost, then you the ground subsides and it... So in one place where you have a lot of ice in the permafrost, the ground sinks a lot. And then a place where you don't have so much ice in the permafrost, it sinks less. So you get this uneven. So think about karsts in Florida, you know, where they have that sinkholes appearing. We have that appearing here in the in the permafrost regions too in northern Alaska, Central Alaska.
0: So how did they I don't know how they build on it? Is there some kind of mitigation process for homes built on, on permafrost?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I used to live 10 years on permafrost and it was a cabin with with tall legs so it had stilts so the the cabin wasn't sitting right on the ground it was elevated about three feet above the ground so in the winter there was no snow that could be underneath the cabin or lay on the ground so it was just bare ground and that cooled the ground efficiently in the winter time below the cabin and then the, in the summer it was it was shadowing the ground too so the sun couldn't get in there so that's a common way of building on permafrost is that you have these stilts that go down into the ground and preferably several feet into the permafrost too. So you really, you really got to be careful of how you build, that you don't disturb the ground and also be considerate of where you put your snow piles in the winter, for example. Because if you push up all your snow around your house in one big pile, that snow is a blanket it insulates the ground in the in the winter from the cold so it keeps the ground from freezing less so so you could thaw permafrost just by putting snow in up one place <laughs>
0: In looking at pictures of permafrost, it looked like ground to me. It didn't look any different from regular ground. Is there some kind of visual cue that you're actually looking at permafrost?
1: Not always, but there are definitely indications. Because, um, So, for example, permafrost is ice rich. It has ice wedges in it. And it's, it's a, really a wedge of ice that's could be 10 feet wide at the top, and then it goes 10, 15, maybe even 30 feet down into the ground. And and that those veggies are connected in a network. So when those veggies grow, so they form by in the really cold winter, the ground cracks and then you have snowmelt water coming in in the spring and it fills in the crack and then it refreezes there. And then the crack, that process repeats over thousands of years. You grow that ice wedge and that pushes the soil to the sides, but also upwards. So that means you can see where you have these ice wedges on the surface of the ground by these ridges forming. So in tundra landscapes where you don't have any vegetation like trees covering the surface, you can see these ice wedge polygons. They're called so. There's the landscape is just filled with these ice wedge polygons that are 30 feet wide or so. If you have an event warm event, warm period where the permafrost thaws and the top of the ice wedge degrade, then suddenly that what used to be a ridge over the ice wedge slumping in and becomes like a depression, a trough. So so that's an indication that you've seen ice vegetation or permafrost all happening. So you can see that from satellite images. When you walk around, you can see it as well. So that's one way of knowing that you are on permafrost for, for certain.
0: What are the ramifications of an increased melting of permafrost. I mean, we, we've we talked about the building possibilities and sinkholes and things like that. What are some other problems, other than Mastodons thawing out and roaming the earth again? I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> that was, yeah, they are thawing out. It's a, actually, <laughs> Fairbanks, Alaska, there's a lot of bones there that's coming out of the, the permafrost. And there's a permafrost tunnel in Fairbanks too, where the cold region research and engineering laboratory have a tunnel into the permafrost. So you can see the bones in the walls. So the ramification is that like me studying hydrology of water, when you change the topography of the landscape by thawing these ice wedges, this really ice rich permafrost, when you change the topography, you change where water flows and where it accumulates. So you could either create more ponds or you can Drain the landscape. So, if you ha- the, all these troughs are connected, then they can start draining the landscape, and you increase runoff, for example. So it, it changes the water balance of the of the water, yeah, the area. And then, of course, in the permafrost that many many people study is the carbon that's coming from vegetation, in particular that grew thousands of years ago when the permafrost formed, and it's been in a freezer all this time. And so when you thaw the permafrost, then suddenly the freezer is no longer there. And you know, when you have a freezer and you have a bunch of food in your freezer and the freezer stopped working and you open it up, it's going to stink. <laughs> because it's, that's what's saying with permafrost, it stinks when it starts thawing.
0: Oh, <laughs> wow. Could there be a possibly some kind of bad... Organisms in there that could create illnesses that we don't even know about. I'm sorry, I grew up on 50s and 60s horror movies, so I'm always looking for the next monster.
1: You definitely have a horror movie ideas here, the run with that's for sure. Yeah, I mean now and then you see in the newspapers people finding new microbes and and some that are could be dangerous to humans. And every, every, we can not say if everything is possible, I guess. But I so far I don't, I haven't heard of anyone getting sick from from permafrost thawing.
0: Okay. It's all so I guess there's also a positive side to this too is that we could be releasing some kind of positive stuff. Oh,
1: exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah absolutely. No, I I think it's very important to to not get locked in on this on the negative things, on the scary things, that uh, there's there's also positive things coming with it.
0: Yeah. Speaking of negative things, there has been a lot of talk about AI mm-hmm. lately, and it, we get all the scare stories about it. But then I've also read that AI is helping in the fight against climate change and in studying permafrost. In what ways is AI helping us in that area?
1: Yes, So that's something I've gotten interested in in the last couple of years. And AI can really help us with this tedious stuff, the stuff that would take me, oh gosh, a thousand years to do, or where you require a bunch of people and it would take a long, long time to finish it. So I think AI is a great tool, a great helper for us to be able to to help us do the tedious and the boring, boring stuff, the stuff that you do, just repetitive work so that we can as yes, humans can do the fun and creative part of science. That's that's how I see AI working with us. As an example, we are using satellite imagery that are in a submeter resolution. So you can you can see I mean caribou on those images. It's they're very very high. So we we a team that I'm working with, Shandi over in Connecticut with Arana, he's taught the computer to identify these ice switch polygons we talked about earlier. So him and his student team, they manually outland, outlined 20,000 of these ice-witch polygons. I mean, that's tedious work. <laughs> and then they let the model, the computer, the AI, look at all these photos over the Arctic and the AI found one billion ice ice-witch one billion ice polygons through that and of course it's not perfect. it's finding ice witch polygons where there are none it's it's instead a house for example but it it helped us map ice switch polygons across the Arctic just like a human would see this ice switch polygon when I look at the photo. so so we then have a better understanding on where do we have this ice rich permafrost that could cause, Changes in topography with thaws and that could cause challenges for people building roads or houses or. Moving their hospital or school, so so we
0: let it do the tedious work. For us. So you can go out skiing and just wait for them to come up with results.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you got it.
0: <laughs> you got it. I see. Yeah, I see how this is working mm-hmm. now. Can Can you give it like further examples of how AI has helped? Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's just giving you. It's helping to sift through tons of da- data.
1: Yes, exactly. But w-
0: what does it do besides that? When you get when it does goes through that data, yeah. What does it give you to work on?
1: Yeah. So one thing AI is is to create this first base data set. So we have some data to work with. And then then we suddenly have all this data. And what do we do with it now? And that's where AI can come in too and help us work with that ADA data. For example, we once we created many maps of permafrost thaw features and over many years. And then we have the same kind of maps about what the weather was at that time. And we give that to the AI computer and say, hey, look at this and see if you can find relationships to like why we saw permafrost degradation here in northwestern Alaska. But we didn't see it here in, in Siberia, which is only like a couple not too far away. So then the AI can can start finding connections and relationships and patterns and learn also why we saw this permafrost saw here. And when the AI can learn, then we can start using it as a forecasting tool. So like now we have this models that are based on numerical solutions so they have equations behind them and they calculate what the temperature and what the winds should be here and there so we have weather forecasts for that are for the whole season the whole summer season and we could use ai to forecast give us an idea of where we might see permafrost this coming summer so if we give it the weather forecast that's expected for the summer then and the ai knows that oh if it gets unusually hot Then we know there's going to be high risk of permafrost thaw. So then the AI can tell us this area is likely to experience permafrost thaw this season. So that's that's how we want to use the AI too. And so, in addition to tracking permafrost thaw and giving us the result within just a couple of days of when the image was taken by the satellite, because right now it takes people like years before that result comes out. And then we can also do these forecasts as well. So it's another tool, really, another resource for us to to be able to do more. And I think also connect science more to to make science more useful for people as well.
0: You've got this forecasting tool. Can it also help with coming up with solutions for problems.
1: Yeah, well, who who knows? Yeah.
0: So we haven't yeah, we haven't tapped question. into that yet. Ex- I mean, it's like, okay, AI, yeah. thank you for telling us where the the permafrost is going to melt, but now can you do something to help us keep it from melting?
1: Right. Right. Oh, it's so true. Why not turn it around and look at it that way?
0: Yeah. Thank the, the, you. For oh, thank, thank you. For you. I, I, well, uh, <laughs> can I get an award yeah. or something for that? Yes. <laughs> a, a Nobel Prize for doing absolutely nothing <laughs> would be wonderful. There you go. <laughs> yeah.
1: And something too to think about when you talk about permafrost and thawing, you say permafrost thaw because instead of permafrost melt, because think about if you have a frozen chicken in your freezer and you take it out, you'll let the chicken thaw before you cook it. So so it's, it's permafrost thaw. Oh, and then just because the permafrost is not just ice, it also has soil and rock in it as well. So so that's a little good little trick if you want to sound like a permafrost expert.
0: <laughs> well, I, actually, I thaw my chicken and anything else from my freezer in the microwave. So Aha. now we need something to reverse that. Yes. To be able to freeze stuff mm-hmm. again, to quickly yes. just shine something that looks like a like a hair blower, but instead it freezes. Yep. The right. Rain. Right.
1: You know what? The, I think you know nature is so amazing. So what we've seen being up on the tundra and and these ponds forming because the ground subsided because these ice wedges melted at the top, so the the ground didn't have any support anymore and just created this depression, which filled them with water. And we see mosses coming in, this aquatic mosses coming in and they float in that water and they grow really quickly over just a couple of years. You get these mosses that are oh two two feet thick and they cover up the water surface and they heal. They make the permafrost come back and it's happening all by itself. So it's the power of mosses. It's something that a lot of these models that are producing projections of what's going to happen to the carbon when the permafrost thaws and what's going to happen to the permafrost, they don't account for that healing process. That the natural system has, so that's that's the the version of this.
0: That's great. We keep messing with Mother Nature. It's like she's she's had it right for millions of years, and we keep trying to change what she's doing, and and we just mess things up.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. I think we need to listen to her more and and learn from her and (laughs) see what what her solution is.
0: No, when I'm doing the the podcast, I always keep a glass of water handy. I don't know if you can see it. I see it It, because there's nothing more refreshing. Yeah. Than a nice glass of cold water. Yeah. And we keep trying to, well, I, I think we have one improvement and that's called beer, but that's something else entirely. <laughs> we'll, we won't get into that.
1: There,
0: <laughs> there is a sense of alarm that we are reach. We keep hearing that we're reaching the point of no return uh, with climate change. To what degree have we already hit it?
1: There are observations in the Arctic where... It's telling us we're already in the future. So the big climate models that we have, they say, oh, we're going to see this in 2050 or in 2100. But we're already seeing that rate of change, that change happening in the Arctic. It's We're already there. So to me, that's like, hello, hello. What is it that we don't understand? There's something we don't understand. So we need to open our minds and really kind of climb out of the box that we put ourselves in and think outside the box. And and like probably go back a couple of steps and like think about what did we miss here? Is how come the uh, what we see in the in regards to the effects of the warming that 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 change has happened much faster than what the models are telling us? I think that is that is a big question we all scientists need we need to ask ourselves. Like, is it something in the models that we're not properly representing? We, we need to go back and and just do a system check on it all and, and keep our minds open and think about what other things are affecting the climate are we accounting for them all for example i think if we have responsibility there as scientists to to convey that there's a lot we don't know yet also that we we have a lot of assumptions made and assumptions are important to make in order to move forward but you got to remember that they are insu- assumptions it's like it's like you break your leg. <laughs> you use a crutch. It's temporarily. I think I think we just need to be become more humble and take a, step, a couple of steps back and think about what is it that we're not capturing right now in the models that because it's clear that what we're seeing is something we thought we would see 50 years from now.
0: On the positive side, if we're already in the future, can we get this week's winning lottery numbers? <laughs> Yeah. Why not? Could you please send that down to me when you figure that yes. out? Right? Do you believe that we can still mitigate the effects of climate change? Is it not too late? Yes, there will be inevitable changes to how we live, but can we fix it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think we really need to avoid the fear fear spiral and feeling like we can't do anything that's that's just killing the human spirit there's there's definitely things we can do and i think be be cognizant of like what what the energy i'm using and i think small things adds up so um yeah i definitely think there's still hope but just because we see these processes in the natural system like the aquatic moss for example coming in growing up real fast and healing and making the permafrost come back so Yes, I I don't think it is too late.
0: Can aquatic moss be used for food?
1: Oh, I know some mosses definitely have medicinal properties and it's been used. I haven't tried it myself.
0: <laughs> so, so, so instead of smoking weed, smoke some moss and you'll everything will heal. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I think I've got to start a new business. How do we change people's behaviors? You were talking about how each of us can do something to mitigate the problems with our with sustainability, especially. How do you get through to people when some people don't even accept the fact of climate change?
1: Well, I think what, what I feel like we've kind of forgotten a little bit what it is to be human in this whole process, of so technology that advances and so on. I think we need to step back and think about what it means to be human and that we're we're in this together. I actually think AI can help us here because maybe AI can free up some time for us to learn how to become more human mm-hmm. and to appreciate the power we have as humans. And I mean, power as in good power. And if we do things together, like we can accomplish amazing, amazing things. For example, like growing food for your community and, and support people who grow few food in your community to create those local strong systems that makes everyone feel really good <laughs> because you eat healthy and you're contributing to everyone else becoming healthy. I think if we, we take our step back and, and think about What is it to be human? What does it mean to be human? And how can I participate more in that? And I think that's um, a way forward. If we have that focus, what brings us together more than what separates us apart, I think we can just move
0: to big places. Terrific. Now, now, what is the the nutritional content of rutabagas?
1: (laughs) Oh, I I wish I had that answer for you. I think they're high in vitamin C, for sure.
0: (laughs) Okay, everybody turn to a rutabaga-based diet, and we will have global healing. Here you go. (laughs) Anna, is there a question or questions that I have not asked that you would like to answer?
1: Oh, thank you for asking. I would like to encourage... People who already are researchers and people who are thinking of becoming scientists, like think about, let's, let's step out of the box more and more. Like, let's like think, be creative and, and appreciate that how little we know with the different techniques we have available to measure whatever we want to measure that. I, I think I would encourage that is is to think about what are the assumptions we are taking in science and and ask more what if questions. That is something I hope the sciences community in, in general and also I think people abroad is like ask questions and be curious and and recognize that we're in this together and, and if we work together, like we can do amazing things and, and we can help each other out and help each other grow. We have that power, each one of us within us. Stay away from that fear.
0: <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, I did think of a question I for I did not ask that i wanted to ask is what is the permafrost discovery gateway
1: yeah it, thank you yes yeah, so it's <laughs> it's an online tool or platform that if you have internet you can go there and we're we're building it up as a place where people can explore these really big maps that we're creating of permafrost landscapes and permafrost law features and we're adding these tools so people who who live on permafrost, for example, they can go there and see, okay, I, I want to move. We need to move our school or our hospital because it's having issues with this ground being unstable. Where should we move? So they could use the information, the gateway to as the first place of finding potential sites
0: to move their, their building. It's also a great way to find out where not to have a picnic. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, Anna, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Much good luck in your continued work cuz we're all depending on you. No no pressure here, but we're all depending on you. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> thank you, Steve.
0: My thanks to Ana Lugadal for sharing her knowledge and understanding of climate change with us. At Life Slices, we try to maintain a positive outlook and find the clear skies among the clouds. Don't let the corporate lobbyists and religious extremists try to convince you climate change is not that bad. It is. Life on Earth is changing because of it, and not for the better. We can take some solace from scientists like Anna who still see a positive outcome. But they can't do it alone. We all have to act. Don't take electricity or water for granted. Act to conserve as much as possible. Drive less or switch to alternative energy vehicles. Grow your own food if you can. And when you're shopping for political candidates to support and vote for, make sure you choose the ones who believe climate change is real and that we need to act on it now. We can't leave it to our children or there may be nothing left to leave them.
1: If you liked this program, please like Life Slices on social media and subscribe wherever you find fine podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios.